You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Scott. We wanted to let the listeners know what's going on with Spit Podcast. Spitpodcast.com is now officially up and running. And this podcast, which previously they would get either on Down the Line or on BoardroomShow.com or on SurfSplendorPodcast.com or through one of our iTunes accounts, it's now available on its own feed. All they have to do on any podcasting app is search for Spit, and they can find it there. And it'll only exist there coming soon. Yeah, we're only doing this show on a spit feed. It's a standalone feed. So if you've been listening to it through some other distribution avenue, please consider uh, checking out spitpodcast.com, and that's where you will get the new feed. Don't consider it. Do it right now. Do it. Open up iTunes, search spit, click subscribe, because that's the only place you'll find this show. The other thing is we've solely existed on donations since October of last year, and we created a new donation platform on spitpodcast.com. So if you're listening to the show and you would like to financially donate and contribute to keep this thing going, go to spitpodcast.com, click the donation button, give a one-time donation or a subscription right there. Yeah, guy. Now let's get into the show. As we see, some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. July 20th, another episode of Spit. David Lee Scales, and I'm Scott Bass, and we're here to talk and spit surf at you. All things surf and pop culture, perhaps. David. I'm going to spew some surf talk right at you, Scott Bass. All righty then. Well, yeah, I, uh, I think I mentioned it's July 20th. It's a Thursday. There's plenty of south swell in the water, and it's been hot and humid here in Southern California. Warm water, too. Right. Like so, trunkable water, dude. I've been trunking it. Yeah, 72, 73, something like now, that. Now, speaking of trunking it, you were in Costa Rica. Fully trunking it. And it was it, pumping. Dude. Best ever. You said, call, call me when it's six feet and perfect. Yeah. It was six feet and perfect. I know. Like, I saw multiple it. days on end. Like, absolutely pumping. Like, I've so been cool. down there every year for the last five years, I think. Mm-hmm. This was by far the best I've ever seen it. And you, and you got to surf that right that you and I love? That's right. that shall remain remain nameless based on your uh, code of ethics right however there may be a situation where you need to mention it so that you can sort of stroke the back of perhaps those that took care of you down there is that a situation where you need to sort of say hello to some friends and help um no okay no good all right costa rica is enough i think at this point okay good i think i've you've um You've called me over to the dark side, and I am That's the living by side. your rules. It's an interesting... Actually, that should be excavated, like the whole concept of that at another moment, another time. But um, uh, I mean, I guess, is it selfish to be that way? I, I'm constantly struggling with, what would Duke Hanamoko do? Would he just name the surf spots and invite everybody to show up and surf with Aloha and share waves? Or We've talked about it a little bit. I honestly... 
What would I do? think there's a consensus at this point that yeah. you just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just don't. I mean, it, the waves are out there. You'll know where to f- go and find them. And by the way, I'd like to commend Surfline for for not mentioning a spot down in mainland Mexico where um, they had a feature. And everyone knows where the wave is. Most people that are in the know know. Mm-hmm. But it was great that they didn't need to mention it. You know, you don't need to mention the spot. What, did they just do a feature? They on did it? a feature. It included Alex Nost and oh, Luke Davis okay. and Jay Davies. Your guy, Jay Davies, was down there. Love Jay. Completely overshadowing the Californians that were on really? that trip. It was Bruce Irons, Jay Davies, Colin Moran. Of course, they all got great waves. I'm not saying they all didn't surf great, yeah. but Jay Davies, you could tell, just had sort of that Western Oz froth, like, you know, can't be big enough and gnarly enough for him. Yeah. Um, the guy I feel like has replaced Dane Reynolds for me. You know where Dane Reynolds was like really raw and powerful, but also radical doing fin free like blow tails and airs and stuff like that, but spontaneous and radical in the way that Andy used to be, I would say. Dane was that for so long. And now that Dane's having kids and not really producing videos for us to watch, definitely not doing contests, Jay's filled that gap. But Jay doesn't, he's not as much of a self-promoter as Dane was. Like, he doesn't have a website dedicated um, to producing video clips. But whenever I see him, I go, there's an element of Dane quality in him that I really, really love. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. If the guys that I just suggested, Colin Moran, Luke Davies, or wait, Luke Davis. Davis. Yeah. <laughs> like Ray Davies. Jay Davies, Bruce Irons. And Alex Nost. That was pretty much the crew, I think. Yeah. Take those guys, put them at Perfect J-Bay for the event waves that we've just seen unfold. Would you be okay with that? If those were guys that were in the contest along with whoever, McFanning, Gabe Medina? Uh, yes, and here's why. I would actually be much better with that than watching them surf my local beaches, which I have seen all those guys except J-Surf, because they all actually have very beautiful style. Each and every one of them. Like Luke Davis on a right-hand point break. You could say what you want about Luke Davis, but like on a right-hand point break, his style is phenomenal. I mean, in a competitive format. I'm saying, because what I'm trying no, to get at no. is, you know how you and I talk, I'm, I'm like, hey, look, if it's t- eight to 10 feet and pumping and perfect, you can put f- 75 other guys in the contest. Totally. And totally. you'll be entertained as all hell. Like those guys are going to be getting barreled. They're going to be doing the same carving top turns. Are you telling me Jay Davies can't do those top turns? We know he can. Bruce Irons, we know he can. Luke Davis, tell me, can Luke Davis shred the shit out of those waves the way that we saw this morning? Not the not with the same power no, that I'm, we saw this morning, but yes, he can. Yeah, but there's guys on tour that don't have power. Yeah. So I'm just saying he's he's. So my point is, is that the waves are the real star. Except, I agree with your point. Okay, because <laughs> it's because that's really. I mean, if I'm going to make that point, then we need to kind of we need to explore it. We need to take guys that aren't on tour and go. What if we put those guys in that contest? Would we be happy as fans, yeah. as end users? So the answer is the waves are the star. You are absolutely right. However, as we mentioned in the last show, Tony Roberts, our buddy in Costa Rica. Yes said, well, hey, man, my favorite events are lowers. I love the technical aspects of tricks. And Tony comes from a skate background as well. And my argument to that or counterpoint to that was, look, if we put the best surfers in the best waves, they will then start applying those technical maneuvers and tricks 
in Cloudbreak, in J-Bay. And I think Felipe Toledo actually proved that point where he did the types of airs that he did on those waves at J-Bay. He couldn't ever do it lowers because the wave at lowers isn't powerful enough. Or fast so, enough. Exactly. So we were able to see exactly what Tony wants, which is the most teched out, craziest air, but on the best wave possible. And it was functional. So we, we don't have to jump into J-Bay yet. I don't know if well, you're we ready to segue. To. Okay. All right, let's I mean, it. at least to talk about Philippe Toledo. Well, and it's already, it's such a hot topic. Like, let's do it. Massive back-to-back complete commitment aerials on six, seven-foot wave. Um, there are defining moments, competitive moments in pro surfing. There's defining non-competitive moments as well. And it's interesting to determine which one has more cachet, but... For this topic, let's discuss defining competitive moments in pro surfing's history. And undoubtedly, Philippe Toledo's 10 with these two massive aerials is in the top five greatest competitive moments in pro surfing's history. Agree or disagree? And what are the remaining four of the top five? I knew you were going to prep a list. I was hoping that you would actually. Well, it's kind of a, it's kind of, unfortunately, I think the list isn't complete or it can, I need, you or listeners to help us with this list. This is not my area of expertise. I know. Like it's historical. Really, yeah. We needed to run through some stuff. I'll throw some stuff at you. Okay. And see what you think. Well, I'll start by yeah. answering your question, though. The answer is yes, it is. Um, certainly one of the best competitive rides that we've ever seen. Now, you A have defining to. Defining competitive moment in pro surfing. Absolutely. Surfing. And the context is is what helps define it. So if you just go back in time and isolate a given wave in a given contest, it's hard to understand why that was important or not. And that might be the case with this down the road. But for the moment that we're at in surfing's evolution, this is absolutely a cornerstone moment where uh, it's a well overhead wave. He's going with the absolute fastest amount of speed possible doing the craziest air that we've seen all year long actually on the wave prior when he did the 360 air like a proper rotation not the alley-oop rotation that was the craziest thing i was blown away and then he fell on the follow-up turn and didn't get he would have got a 10 if he would have finished that wave but he didn't because he fell and my thought was well it's early in the heat and it's around four heat so he's just going for it well, sure enough, he gets that wave that you're talking about, does the one crazy alley-oop, and my thought was, okay, at this point, he's going to safety surf it just to bag the 10. Well, he completely loads up, goes as fast as he could possibly go, does another one, which in my mind, the second one was <clears throat> crazier than the first. The landing wasn't as buttery, but he almost over-rotated. I thought there was an element of like... um uh, excitement and um, danger involved in that and unpredictability that wasn't in the first one as crazy as the first one was. So that's why it's a defining moment is not only is it a well overhead wave doing a techie maneuver, but doing two of them and then making them functional. Cause that's another argument at J Bay is that's a section that other guys would have done a floater on, you know, in the past to link it to another turn. He actually aired out over it, then linked it to other turns. 
But more importantly was throwing caution to the wind. After the first one, he could have safety surfed and still got the 10. This is a defining moment because he didn't do that. He said, you know what? F all your expectations. I'm going for a 20. And the judging criteria doesn't allow for the 20, but this is going to force the judges to rethink everything. This is going to force the entire WSL to rethink everything. And Ronnie even said it in the booth. Ronnie goes... We might have to institute a policy where he can actually lay back down on his board on the wave, get back up to his feet, and now it counts as a second wave. So the first air would have been one wave. He could get to his stomach, get back to his feet, do another air, and get a 20 on one wave. Well, that's interesting. Um, Ronnie's comment, especially, I I think that's a little out out of the box, but I'm okay to explore that. But um, you're absolutely right. The first one, we went, wow. But it's Philippe. Okay, that's crazy. That's that's mind blowing. The commitment was incredible. It was the second one that put the hair on the back of our necks and made us go, "Holy crap!" Because, like you said, and like everybody knows, he could have easily forgive the phrase coasted through to a ten by just banging massive top turns and riding the wave, just like everybody else was riding them. And so it was the second one that really made this um, a groundbreaking situation. Now. Here are some competitive moments in pro surfing's history that are in the top five, and or maybe not. And the problem with my little list here is that it's rather contemporary. As I try to jog my memory, I have a hard time. And that's sort of the nature of the pop culture that we live in, right? We're in such this instant, you know, like this might, we might forget about this next event. Right. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I know I hate that. Um, but some of them are. Uh, I've got number two as Kelly's. And by the way, I put Philippe's as number one. Number two is Kelly's comeback versus Bruce Irons at Chopu. You may recall, I think it was 2006. Kelly was comboed by Bruce Irons. And with time ticking down, he needed he, he needed a 20. Bruce Irons had like a 19.8. And Kelly got back-to-back 10s. You might recall it's the last wave, he kind of fell backwards, came out of it. It was mind-blowing. I'm going to make a note to look that clip up, and then I'll post it on spitpodcast.com yeah. just so people can watch it, because that is, that's an insanely ridden wave. And that's the letting go moment. Like when you, exactly. Kelly explains about this concept of letting go. He was struggling. He was, he was kind of strangling the moment too much, and he just let go and said, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to surf like I normally surf and have fun. And bingo, the lights went on. And um, that's number two. But again, we can move these around. I'm sort of just going down the line. Yeah. How about Owen Wright's final heat performance at the 2016 Fiji Pro at Cloud Break, where he served flawlessly? That could be in there, right? Again, a lot rather contemporary. But as I was making this list, um, but it's a it's an important moment. I've talked about it on this show repeatedly because yes. it's been a highlight for me in recent years. But he got uh, two perfect heats in that event. Did you say 2016? I think it was 15. Maybe it was 15. Because he took 16 off. But yeah. the waves were pumping. It was kind of a dredging, like lower tide part of the day. So there was actually really scary sections. And he manhandled cloud break in a way that we just hadn't seen before. And um, got two perfect heats. That final was against Julian Wilson. But that that dominance that he had reminded me of Felipe Toledo surfing waist-high snapper earlier in the year, where he just looks like a video game. You know, it's like nobody has exerted more control over a given wave than these performances. And Owen was definitely that guy in that event. So that may be in the top five. Again, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's number six. How about this one? Kind of obscure. 
Andy Irons' victory in Chile. Oh, yeah. He took time off to deal with personal issues that we all know about. He comes back. I don't think he's sure what's going on um, competitively, strategically, tactically, emotionally. And he, he seems to come back possessed, and he claims his rightful place um, with a comeback victory at Chile. Now, that one I'm kind of going, hmm, is that really in the top five? No. I don't think so. Good Probably moment, not, though. but I'm throwing it out there because this is the kind of thing we need to discuss. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, another one, Kelly's Kelly Slater's aerial at the Quicksilver Pro in New York. In the big picture, in okay. the context, as you put it, we've got this big event in New York, which was hard to pull off. Paul Speaker will claim all the glory in this if you ask him about it, and he probably deserves it, according to him. That's the only version of the story I know. But they went through a lot of bureaucratic hell to get this event to run. We got this incredible hurricane surf, and Kelly Slater in the final in front of the you know New York City and the world performed as a Kelly Slater-type world champion should perform and did this incredible aerial. It was to a re- win the- redefining aerial. Redefining? Like okay. it redefined... Um, not only the competitive, what's been done in the contest, but like aerial surfing as a whole. Like it was crazy. And he didn't win the event though. Owen Wright won that. Oh, event. okay. See, so, so, well, you know, I guess we have in hindsight, at least with my list, Philippe actually won the event. And I didn't know that when I wrote this yesterday. Philippe. Owen. No, no, I'm talking about, because you, you said Kelly didn't win. Owen did. Right. And I'm saying, oh, that's interesting because. I have yeah. Philippe's as number one, and he did win, but I wrote this list before the final. So, got it, got it, got it. Um, how about this one? Um, you know, there's the story of Fred Hemmings, deadhead Fred at the Smirnoff Pro at Waimea Bay when the guys didn't want to surf. And he's like, if, I'll tell you what, guys. I'm going to go out there and catch a wave. If I can go out there and catch a wave, it's surfable, and we're going to run a heat. And everybody's like, all right, I guess if Fred's going to surf, we got to surf. Is that one of the top five competitive moments is that a defining competitive moment or is that more of a you know it wasn't real there weren't jerseys on when that situation went down you know but to me that's pretty i I think if you make a list about defining moments in pro surfing's history that's right there at the top one of them yeah now not competitive not a defining competitive moment a different category perhaps i agree yeah great story yeah. Doesn't fit the list. Because because defining moments in pro surfing's history, you would put Jay Bay shark attack situation with with Mick. You could put um the the non heat at cloud break when all the really good surfers went out and the pros decided not to surf. Yeah. I'm being facetious a little bit, but you get the point. Yeah. Um there's some other moments, you know. Um, I've got one. Mick Campbell punching Andy Irons in the shower in Japan. Oh, that so we should probably elaborate on that. And then you have to go back and elaborate on last week or last time you misspoke on oh, yes. Johnny boy punching a female, yes, yes. but let's come back to it. Okay. Um, do you want to do the Andy irons getting punched by Mick Campbell? Do you know the details? Cause I read that a couple times on the internet over the years, but like never got the full story. I pretty much have hearsay versions of it, you know, from working at surfer and, and of course, Andy's cousin Rick was working there, so we kind of got a lot of good detail about. And as I recall, I could be way off here, but basically, and you, if you have the story, I don't, no. well, basically, what I heard is, you know, there was a little bit of a scuffle, just a normal um, paddling 
hassle that was going on. And you got to understand, Mick Campbell was sort of a pit bull. He's sort of a terrier, like an orangutan terrier mix, Australian surfer that was very competitive. And, of course, Andy's very competitive. And these guys had a bit of a one of those tough heats, you know, where there was just some drama, emotional, nothing physical happening in the water that I know of. And they come onto the shower, and they're both showering in the same shower. And I think Andy might have said something. I don't really know what happened, but Mick, Mick basically either pushed or punched or put his board in Andy's face or something like that. There was a punch thrown, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the way I heard that it was a Mick punched Andy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mick, I mean, you know, Mick's kind of like Colin McGregor. You know, if, <laughs> you don't want to. Mick Campbell, there should be more characters like Mick Campbell on tour. It's, mm. it, we've got a little bit too much vanilla. Yeah, it's I need feisty. To, I need to see some feisty. And I know there's guys out there that are like that. The Ginger Ninja. Right. That's who he was. So it'd be interesting to hear what the listeners, I know that some of you have got great history on top greatest competitive moments. So I'll give you one. Yes. Now, this wasn't a CT level event. So I don't know if it qualifies. It was the Vulcan Pipe Pro, so that's close. But oh, with with John with yeah, uh, yeah. JJF and Jamie O'Brien. Yeah, yeah I mean it's remarkable when you watch that footage. And I actually posted it on Instagram a few weeks ago because when I was actually searching for audio clips of announcers saying the word "spit" to create the intro for this show, I'm just like scouring YouTube footage of guys getting spat out of barrels, waiting for somebody to say the word. And um, I pulled up that heat and was completely awestruck by it. Um, For the listeners, it was a similar scenario to what you were talking about with Bruce and Kelly, where John John needed two new scores. I don't know if he was comboed. I think he was comboed by Jamie. And then he got like a high nine and he needed another high nine. And it was big bombing pipeline. And it was a four man heat. Nate Yeomans and Kai Barger were the other guys. I think Nate. Um, and Jamie was going to win the heat. So John John actually paddles over with 30 seconds left, gives Jamie a congratulatory pat on the back and like basically just acquiesces defeat when a set kind of pops up out of nowhere. It was a backdoor right. So John John slaps him on the back. He didn't plan to like fake him out, but he slapped him on the back sincerely, then sees this wave pop up and beelines back towards the peak and jamie sees him and so then scrambles john john barely skirts underneath the ledge of this back door just bomb gets to his feet as the waves actually breaking he kind of takes off under the lip on this double overhead backdoor bomb takes off under the lip almost like just not free falls but like slinks into the barrel the thing just throws over him he's completely gone the announcer in the booth, uh, Dave Stanfield and Chris Cote, both are just screaming like, oh my gosh, what's happening? It was, he caught the wave with less than 10 seconds left, and then just the thing barfs it, its guts out, and he comes out like almost behind the spit, like completely disappeared, spit kind of dissipates, and he's standing there with his arms out, 10-point ride, nice. wins the event. It was like the nutsest, the craziest timing, the craziest turn of events, the craziest wave. He surfed it perfectly. It was so rad. Well, I certainly don't think we should limit it to just CT events. If, if there's moments that transcend, whether it's a CT or a QS, they should be included. Here's another one that just popped into my mind. Of course, the Tom Carroll snap at the Pipe Masters. 
course. That's got to be in there, right? Totally. I mean, we're I'm I'm leaving out basically. This is a very contemporary list that I mentioned. I'm it's from basically like 2005 on yeah. the last 10, 10, 12 years. I mean, we're we're miss we're leaving out the 90s, which none of us saw, right? I mean, who saw the you know, I don't know the the like Michelin tire open in yeah in France or where you know in yeah. 1993 with Damien Hardman. Nobody, nobody saw it. You know, like those guys remember some of it totally, and there are probably some great moments. I know there was some some paddling history, and of course, there's a ton of history at Bell's. A lot of people will say Aki's performance at Bell set the standard backside, and he had a, a, a you know competitive heat there that was a defining moment. Um, somebody like Derek Hind could probably do, and Matt Warshaw could do a good job of of helping determine yeah. what are the top five greatest competitive moments. But um, I, I know that David and I would love to hear from you guys, a listener, if you, you and these have got to be transcending defining moments. It can't just be a great heat. It's got to be something that. That we all go, okay, like you mentioned, right? Tipping point. You know, this is a tipping point. Yeah. Well, did you feel like Felipe's... I mean, you obviously do. You feel like it was one of the best competitive waves ever surfed? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't because of the first one. It was because of the second one. Right. Because Agreed. he could have coasted. Yeah. And he said, screw you. Yeah. And, and that it, leads us... Go ahead. Yeah. Well, like I said, I think that forces everybody to rethink that 10-point scale. Well, the 10-point scale is a joke. I mean, I know that... I saw your great meme that you created, by the way. <laughs> I didn't. Somebody that said was it was awesome. on Reddit. That was awesome, right? Maybe you should explain it. it. But, but the context yeah. is, I feel like there's way too many 10s. Frederica Marias' 10 against John John wasn't a 10. Now, give us the context of your great meme about too many 10s were thrown out there. There's a lot of 10s in this event. I, I wasn't too upset about it. You know, I thought Jordy's 10s were legit. Um, were the waves ridden perfectly in those early tens? I thought so. Like Jordy's stuff. I wasn't going to argue with. No, I agree. There's many that you can't argue yeah. with, but there's some that you're kind of well, like the Frederico one is the one, right? right. So That's like, kind of the main one. But if, if we're going to reset the scale a little bit, then we have to kind of temper it all back. If the scale is now Felipe doing two massive aerials and then 50, you know, three other huge gapping hacks yeah. that are insane. If that's the 10, then everything else is less than. And there's been argument on a lot of message boards about how difficult it is to throw down 10s in the ocean. In the skate and snowboard world, they very rarely throw down the perfect score. They hold on to that thing. And that's a static medium. We're dealing with an unstatic medium. Yeah. And I'm suggesting maybe they should hold on to that 10 a yeah. little bit well, like Definitely should at this point. I mean, there should only have been one ten. So that is a discussion, and then the Frederico wave itself okay. is a different discussion, right? Uh, or those are two. So the meme was Oprah Winfrey when she gave away all those Pontiacs ten years ago. You know, she was like Pontiac. She gave away Pontiacs. <laughs> it was the G six, dude? Oh my god! You don't god. watch Oprah? What's up, I'm dude? sorry, I missed that year. So um, it was her standing. On the stage, yelling at the audience, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. And it became this iconic moment for right. Oprah. So the meme was her standing in the stage going, you get a 10, you get a 10, you get a 10. Uh, it was just raining 10s, you know, and a lot of them deservingly. The question, let's discuss the Frederico one. Um, I don't think anybody thinks that that was a 10. No. Not only as compared to the other 10s in the event, but even in that heat itself. Compared to his 977. 
Well, so the four scoring waves in that heat, John John's two waves and Federico's, I thought that was the least well-surfed wave out of all of them. Yes, I totally agree. Like, it's the lowest score out of any of those four waves, and somehow they gave it a 10. And he needed that. He needed, like, a a 9. No, I think it was an 8-9 He needed. He needed an 8-9 to win the heat. It was in the dying moments of the heat. He got a wave, and I was watching it live, and I thought when he kicked out of the wave, I go... He's not getting the 8-9. That's probably a low 8. And guess what Peter Mel said? As you know, you listened. Peter Mel was like, Wolves have to see. I don't know. It's borderline. It's not a slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk, right. These are the words of a guy who's watched every heat for 8 days, 10 days or whatever. And me watching it, I thought he didn't get it. I didn't even think it was borderline. I just thought he didn't get it. Compared to the other waves in that heat that are already in the books, he did not get this wave. And then the judges come back with 10, and it's like, what?! Like, not only is it not, it's not per- the score that he needed, it's definitely not perfect. It's not even close to perfect. He bogged on the first turn. He didn't bog. His fins broke free, and, like, he slid. Immediate recovery. Like, the recovery was impressive, but it, he didn't If you do- have to use the word recovery exactly. in a ride, yeah. then we have an issue. Yeah. It wasn't, to answer your earlier question, it was not a perfectly surfed wave. No. It wasn't. And, and it wasn't a it wasn't even a perfect wave to start with. No, it wasn't like a killer massive you no. know, it was just it was in good wave, but yeah. you know. Yeah, I I think that one's kind of scr- everybody's scratching. Everybody. Their head. Now, everybody. There's, that's a I bummer. Didn't, I didn't see one person, not the commentators who were calling it live, they both didn't think it was a ten. I haven't heard one person argue that that was a ten. Every single person's like definitely wasn't. Now there's an there's an argument online that perhaps his first 977, his first scoring wave was underscored. And this was the judges going, hey, we blew the first wave. It should have. But a 977, should the first wave been a 10? No. So anyway, let's assume that the 977 was underscored and the judges just said, hey, let's give him a 10 because we underscored the first one. Even that, is it, is it okay for judges to make up for their mistakes earlier in heats? I don't think that's should be the case not under the current rules and regulations it isn't so that whole argument gets thrown out the door exactly um i actually in the middle of the night last night woke up with a solution for everyone's problems of course you did that's Good when for you. my best ideas happen <laughs> i didn't write it down and then i kind of woke up 20 minutes later going shoot is this going to go away? And then as I'm sitting here right now about to discuss and I'm realizing maybe it's not that great of an idea. <laughs> I'm going to say it out loud. I thought it was great at 2 a.m. Now I'm wondering if it's great at all. Um, I'll give it to you. You tell me if it's a good idea or not. I don't know why we need to score things live. I feel like there should be retractable scores. Maybe the judges make an assessment while they're surfing. And at the end of the 30 minutes, they go back and review everything and see what's really what, and then come up with a final score. The only reason we have this live scoring in place is because we didn't always have video review. Like for the vast majority of competitive surfing, we needed to score it live. Well, guess what? Now we don't need to. And now what's happening is debates are happening with the heat analyzer, you and I are going back and analyzing everything and rewatching it and going, Hey, there's no way. And of course, when they scored the first wave, they gave it a nine, seven, seven. Cause they didn't know later in the heat, somebody was going to do something that was a potential 12. Well, guess what? We need to reset. The Let's scale. reset it. We don't need to do it live anymore. We can actually go back now and move that nine, seven, seven down to an eight, three, because later in the heat, somebody did get a 12, but we don't have 12 in the scale. So we're going to give that person a 10 
You know what I mean? Yes. Like this would solve a lot of problems. And if we had two different judging panels, we wouldn't even need any lag time. The people judging heat number one can spend a bonus five minutes at the end of the heat retabulating, retracting, and coming up with the actual final score while judging panel number two is scoring heat number two. What are some other subjectively judged sports? For instance, gymnastics. Diving. Diving. Do they have the ability to hold their score until they look at the video replay and then place a score on it? I don't know either of those, but I would think it'd be dumb if they didn't. And then if, as we look at video review in, in sports such as baseball or football, the commissioners in charge, the, the, the stewards of that sport have decided it's better to get it right and have a little lag time than to get it wrong and just do it live and just take the umpire's word or his, you know, what he saw at the heat of the moment. So they've all decided to do what you're saying. Yeah. Now, is it unfair to the to the surfers if they don't know exactly what's going on, what's being judged, what are they looking for, what do they want? Are they judging turns? Well, because they can do, you know, you can catch an incredible wave at J Bay and just go straight and get spit out. And if you get a nine nine, you're like, oh, they're judging the tube. I get it now. No need to worry. You know, so it gives the competitors something to base a foundation from which to move forward through the heat. See. You're right. That's what's currently happening. I don't think that that's actually the best thing for the surfing. So we tell them before they go out what we're looking for. Obviously, that seems like they do that already. And then they make amends later. I think it's better if John John just goes out there and surfs like John John. And and then Gabriel does Gabriel. That will elevate everything. I think everybody now brings their best to the game. And he doesn't need to worry. If Joan Deru did three backside snaps, he doesn't need to try to figure out how to compete with Joan Deru. John John needs to figure out how to do his best surfing. I think yeah. that's better for everybody. I agree. Now, let me ask you this. Who has a better style, Frederico Marias or John John Florence? John John, dude. Exactly. Times a million. I'm slightly disappointed Frederico Marias is a great surfer I'm not doubting his yeah. ability to absolutely shred but we're at this we're at the pinnacle of the best of the best and he lacks a little bit of polish he he doesn't look like somebody where you're like yeah I want my kid to surf like Frederico yeah he's just missing that like when you think about Kelly Mick Parco Gabriel Medina Felipe Jordy John, all John. John, John, all of those guys, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be stoked if I or my kid surfed like that. These guys all have the complete package yeah. from a style standpoint. Yeah. Now they might be different styles, but they are—they're not looking skittish, you know. And I sensed, especially in the final, Federico's boards look really good, by the way, and he's an incredible surfer. But he just lacks a little bit of flair that maybe is why he's a rookie on it's tour. It's flair is what it is. Yeah, flair and style. It's like he's doing really massive, undeniable carves. There's one carve that he does, to go on your point here, that's amazing. Yeah. There's one that he does that's just amazing. But Big every, open front but, side. But between those moves, yeah. there's some little stuff at the bottom of the wave. He's not going bang. He's going, uh, 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 you know, three stands, check turns at the bottom. And then, you know. He stands really upright. Yes. He's got like a very solid stance, but it's very upright. And... He wishes he could be Bead Durbage is kind of what I get out of it. Yeah, it's very Bead-esque, actually. But Bead's got more polish. Not not that but, Bead's but style's great. I'm no, not a fan Bede, of Bead's style. I'm just saying. Bead's got more, but not. he's it's not tall, tall. It's tall guy style. Dude, that's the problem, right? Yes. But Jordy's tall. Yeah. 
but he's got it figured out. I think Jordy's got a bigger trunk though. Like he's thicker down in the it's waist area. Proportioned. Yeah. Like it's it's not tall, skinny guy. He's just like a Connor Coffin blown up. Yes. You know, but it's like yeah. he's got the proportions still figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Where Frederico is just tall and lean, but uh, Owen's tall and lean, and he shreds, and his style looks killer. So yeah, you're I'm right. That's sure. interesting, you know. And and Jack Freestone sort of seems like he's tall and lean. And but I agree I think, with you. I yeah. agree with you, Federico. But he's young and his surfing. Here's what's crazy about Federico is he's forced everybody to love him because his performances are undeniable. From watching him I win, think they're the, deniable. You think so? Well, I think I'm I'm kind of denying this performance. You don't think he should have been in the final? No. I think the one argument you might have is that heat against John John. Yes. And. Uh, and to be honest, when I looked at when I was watching that heat, I was kind of like cleaning the kitchen and stuff. But I watched each wave when they came, and I watched them surf them, and I felt just as a general thought that John John was surfing better than exactly. And that's to your point about let's let's do a replay after the heat to determine the winner. I think we all you know, not, a majority of us would go. John John's obviously the better surfer here in this heat. He does turns in gnarly places. He does them. There's like an element of his turns that just is so radical and different. Whereas Frederico's turn, we've seen a bunch of times before, and Bede does it, and a bunch of other guys do it. Whereas John John's stuff, it's like under the lip and in a curvature of the wave that nobody else is touching, especially on that end section. And laying back or, yeah. or dropping wallet. And, and then like the wrap in the pocket on the open face has a lot of degrees in it that yeah, other guys aren't exactly. doing. Other guys are down carving, like yeah. Connor Coffin, big down carves. Yeah, into it almost the seems turn. like they're giving up on the last yeah. eighth of the turn where John John continues through it. But he does another 50 degrees. Like right. it's not just another 10 degrees. It's, it's like going he's back whipped. to one o'clock. Yes. It's really, really gnarly. And so I just felt like that stuff was all really underscored. And even if it was a smaller wave and it wasn't like the best we've seen John John surf, I just felt like it was definitely pushing past what Frederico was doing. So my buddy actually texted me during this heat and I actually wanted to read it. He was using the diving analogy and he said, if you choose a dive that's an easier dive, the score is reflected. Even if you nail it, you right. get a lower score. Right. If you choose a if you choose a harder dive and don't nail it, you could potentially get a higher score. And I feel like John John's choosing the much harder maneuvers and turns. And even if the wave isn't as big, and even if there's maybe like not as much flow, he does only three of those turns instead of five of those turns. There's still gnarlier turns, you know. And I just felt like he kind of got robbed in that heat. I mean, the 10 he is did, a robbery without a robbed. question, but he did get robbed. Yeah. Frederico was overscored. Yeah. And I don't feel like we got the best, the two greatest surfers, competitive surfers during this time frame. And, and that's, you know, again, it's Felipe. You're going to argue with Felipe. That's nitpicking. No, I'm not arguing Felipe. I'm yeah. arguing Frederico. So we got one of the best one of. Yeah. yeah. But, not but in the final, I mean, we want, the two best guys. And if it's Frederico, great, except it wasn't. Yeah. It, you know, like the two best guys, Jordy, Jordy, Mick, Julian, John, John, Gabe. I don't know. It's, it's, it's so easy to sit here and be a Monday morning quarterback about it. That's our job. But I dude. feel like the final kind of spoke to that too. Like there was, even though it was like a point three difference. Yeah. It felt bigger than that. 
I didn't. I didn't. It felt like Felipe just had control of the whole scene. Yeah, I. This morning, the so for listeners, the event just ended a few hours prior to us recording, and I actually didn't get to watch the final yet. So I'm curious to go back and see it. But Felipe was shredding. I mean, he got a nine and a like a high nine and a high eight, right? So, yeah, it was it was a good heat. Yeah. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. A phenomenal event across the board, dude. Was this the oh best God. event ever? This was one of the greatest events of all time based on everything. Like, it had everything. It had two shark scares. It had a beautiful Rosie Hodge running up and down the beach. It had... <laughs> um, Incredible surf the whole time, pumping, you know, great conditions, pumping six to seven foot swell, tube rides, tens, aerials, uh, too many claims, too many tens. Wild claims, dude. Too many claims. The, the too, safety boat catching a the set The safety wave? boat. Have you seen my Instagram? I put it on today. No. Everyone's putting it on, but go to Instagram. You'll see the safety boat catch a 10 foot wave. Uh, I want to I actually... Pick apart some of that stuff because I I've realized there's listeners who actually don't watch the events and they get all of their news from us. There was two shark scares. There was not they have, one. They have safety two. boats in the lineup now tracking the sharks, which is not only an awesome idea. I didn't think that it would actually be very effective. Yeah. I just thought like, okay, you, your boat on your boat on the surface of the water. There's got to be sharks under the water that you're not seeing. But they have the helicopters and the drones, and they actually spotted these things, tracked them prior to them showing up in the contest zone. So when the sharks did show up in the contest zone, they called a stop to the heat, pulled the boys off, 
onto the ski or the boat, let the shark leave the lineup, and then restarted the event. And it happened twice. It was radical. Yeah. I think it was a phenomenal thing. And even Mick Fanning and the guys said, they're like, I didn't feel any fear at all. Like, I felt very comfortable out there. Yeah. So I thought that was a really, really radical thing. The other thing that we were just talking about is that safety boat that's tracking the sharks, a bombing set came and caught everybody inside, including the boat. The boat had to jet through the lineup, and it actually caught a set wave. It was on the face of the wave. It highlined it and then took the speed down the high line, threw the boat into a faster gear, and outrun the whitewash. The boat had more style than Frederica. (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) (laughs) But that boardroom show dot. Or at, at Boardroom Show. show. It's yeah. on Instagram right now if you want to see it. Dude, but seriously, that boat driver, I've never driven a boat. Well, they interviewed him. Did you see Oh, the no, I didn't. Oh, yeah, that was so cool. They did an interview with him. He's killing it, right? Uh, he's I mean, like, yeah, that was fun. Let's do it again. I hope I catch another one. You know, <laughs> I know nothing about driving boats, except I've seen a few crash on kook slams. Yeah. And so I realized, like, oh, it's pretty treacherous. That guy was legit, dude. He yeah, knew he, he, he had enough doing. power. I think with enough yeah. horsepower, you can get out of trouble. Even when he... Because I think most boats, the tail would have slid down yes. to the bottom. And he yeah, seemed yeah. to be able to gun it and keep the, keep the propellers going. So... um Another thing that was interesting that happened, I don't know if you actually caught this. I didn't see this heat, but Ronnie Blakey was talking about it. He said that heat five, round five, heat three was Connor Coffin versus Jordy Smith. They underscored Connor on a given wave because he went way down the point and yeah. the judges could only see it from behind. Yeah. So the judges gave him a score, but Connor's filmer, Ryan Perry, happened to be down on that angle and filmed the rest of the wave. Jordy won the heat. They went back to the judges' booth. Ryan Perry presented the footage to the judges, and they go, oh, my gosh, we underscored Connor on that wave, and then they did a resurf. I didn't know any of this. Yeah. I knew about um, him riding past the judges' viewpoint, and I heard it when I was watching the heat analyzer, but I didn't know that they did a resurf. They resurfed it. And then uh, Jordy went and won that next heat. Jordy got a 10 in that heat. Okay. And that's what Ronnie's point was. Ronnie explained what I just explained Yeah, and then said – yeah, and when they did the resurf, Jordy came out with some vitriol. Like he got up on his first wave and was just like, "I'm going to kill this thing," and right. he did. He got a ten. That's cool, and that's good for for pro surfing, and and it's good drama for the WSL for the broadcast. Yeah. You know? Now the other um, end of the wave drama you probably know was the Kolohe and Dino drama, where there was a boogie boarder that dropped in on him, and there was a question whether could he have made it out of that tube or could he have you know, driven through that section. And and even beyond that, w- whether he could or not, should we do a resurf because of it? Mm-hmm. And that was really the big question. I think that's that's where the rule impl- the rule implies or the rule states. Yeah. If there's a situation like that, we resurf. And I think Kolohe and his camp was going, well, why aren't we resurfing? And I think it's valid. And I think probably the commissioner's like, well, it didn't really matter. We don't feel like that guy hampered you or... So some backstory to that. Beach Grit interviewed the guy, the boogie boarder. Really? The bodyboarder. Yeah. Good for them. Who, and who did that? Derek? I think it was Derek because the guy is Australian. Right. And he was just there. He's like a pro bodyboarder. So he was there. What's, what's, a, what's a pro bodyboarder? Right. What, exactly. What? Excuse me. What? Uh, is that like, such a thing? Is that like a pro hot dog eater? It, no, it's like a pro <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> oh, well then. Welcome. Yeah. So... He, the guy said, would, he, would you be embarrassed if you had to say, hi, I'm uh, David and I'm a professional bodyboarder or boogie boarder. I'm somehow making a living <laughs> off of traveling and being in the water. You're, you're I have good no with shame. It? Okay. Yeah, no right, shame at fair all. Fair enough. So what he said was 
that it was basically they were in his sponsors or whomever. The, it was his sponsors that put it this way, actually, saying that they did it intentionally. What? Yeah, they were just the like... Boogie Board response? Yeah. Like, hey, publicity stunt. No such thing as bad publicity. And screw you guys. Like, you are come here and surf the best waves in the world on the best day. Like, no, we're just going to stuff you and go for it. But the That's book, what their tone was? That's what they pitched it as after the fact. But then when he, they interviewed... They were there to create drama? That's what they said. They, because the, the his sponsor Instagrammed the footage and wrote a caption that was to that... It was basically saying that. Right, right. But then when Derek interviewed the guy... The guy said, you know what, to be honest, Chloe wasn't going to make the wave. Like, I looked at the wave and saw that Chloe wasn't going to make it. I think he even said you could see his nose poke at some point in the footage. And he goes, so I, I could tell he wasn't going to make it, so I just went. Yeah, but see, that's once you open that can of worms, now you're allowing everyone on the shoulder to just be the, the arbitrator, of, the arbiter of if it's going to... You know, if yeah. it's makeable or not? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, it seemed... But my thought from the whole thing was, like, it seemed like a non-issue, and that's probably why the WSL didn't do a resurf. They either knew that Chloe ate it before that guy took off, or they knew that whatever. So I think if it was a legitimate snake, they would have resurfed. The reason why they didn't, I think it's a non-issue. You know? It wonder, looked egregious. I wonder if part of it is the level at which Chloe and his camp complain. Like, if you go up there and you throw a Sonny Garcia and just are like, what the? You know, and yeah. you go crazy, then they're like, oh, we better take a look at this. He's really upset. Right. And... And I don't know the level at which Chloe's camp complained, but I'm wondering if they would have really spit the dummy if it would have helped. Yeah. Never heard that before. Spit the dummy? Yeah. Spit the dummy. You don't Good know one. what that is? No. Do you know the origin of that? Yeah. I'm curious. In Australia, a dummy is a pacifier that you put in a baby's mouth. Oh. When a baby spits out the pacifier, it starts crying. Got it. he spat the dummy. My Got it. He spat the dummy. Got it. Yeah. Wow. I'm really showing my ignorance today. It's truth. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about that nobody talked about was Connor Coffin, who I love. And in the past, I would have put him on my J-Bay team. I felt like he was surfing worse than he's ever surfed before. And he's he's actually did better in this event than he's ever done before. But he's a guy who was Curran-esque, and he always did the longest, gnarliest turns. There was an edit two or three years ago that you and I talked about on this show where he's riding the Channel Islands Black Beauty. And he got a cover shot on Surfer Magazine doing the most drawn-out, awesome carves. In this event, I felt like he was doing 50% carves and then doing triple check turns off the bottom. Yeah. I was tripping. I was like, this isn't the Connor I know and love. And people were slobbering over him, like loving him, like, oh, Connor's surfing so good. And I'm thinking to myself, this is a 50% version of the Connor that we once knew, even though somehow he made it farther in the event this year than he ever had before. His boards looked like they were holding him back. Yeah, I know what you mean. You, it, we're, we're sort of spoiled. We've seen the footage of him at Rincon. We've seen him at free surfing at spots. And you're just like, wow. You know, this guy's got a pretty cool California package here, you know? And I do know what you mean. I do watch his heats and go, you sense that, that because he's got the jersey on, it's a little bit in his head. And he's not really letting go, so to speak. And he's not doing the full turn that we know Connor Coffin can do. And it's, and it's, a, it's a bit of nitpicking, I think. But we've seen the best yeah. from him. And we kind of expect. And it seems like he was one of those guys that was doing a 80% roundhouse and would stop. Yep. Instead of continuing that last eighth of the turn, he would stop and because... He's got the jersey on. God forbid he goes too deep and maybe you know fades a little bit too much. 
And you know what I mean? There was that. And by the way, that wave runs away from you so fast. I mean, but there was times, a, yeah, there's times where he, the wave running away from you, where I'll give you three guys, Michelle Perez, Julian Wilson, and Jordy Smith, where they're coming out of a full rail gouge turn. And it looks like the waves running away from and they them go straight up. They and- shift into the bottom turn and motor through a bottom turn. It looks like they go 50 yards on yeah. the bottom turn. Just one drive through the bottom. And then they're right back onto the open face. Yeah. One drive off the bottom. And Connor was like, check, 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 check off the bottom into the top turn. And then the top turn was only 50%. It was a down And, and it's because of those three checks before where he's yes. like, uh-oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to carve through the rest of this next bottom turn, so I better not go all the way yeah. down there. And I'm going, Connor, you're the guy who has helped define these full rail carves. Why are you now not delivering? And it, it looked you know, like he was fighting his board. It reminds me of Timmy Reyes when Timmy Reyes was on tour. You're like, God, I know that guy can surf better than that. And yeah. there was just, a, there was just, and, and look, I've been in plenty of contests. I know exactly that space where oh, you're gosh, not surfing to your level because you're more concerned about making the wave all the way through than actually surfing the way you would surf if you were just free surfing, you know, it's so the worst. You can see it in competitors. You sense it, you know? Yeah. So Kaipo uh, Guerrero, Kaipo, who's the commentator? Guerrero, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking, confusing my Kaipos. Or your Achilles. Guerreros. It could have been Tommy Guerrero. Good the, point. I've been listening to Tommy Guerrero lately. So um, Kaipo put it best. He articulated the point perfectly a few months ago. He was saying, imagine if you're walking a tightrope and the tightrope is laying on the grass and your goal is just to walk from the beginning of the tightrope to the end of the tightrope. Super easy to do on the grass. You don't even need the grass. You just walk straight along the thing without a problem. Now put the thing between two buildings and try to walk that tightrope. All of a sudden, it's the most difficult thing in the world. That's the, the equivalent to putting a jersey on. That's a pretty extreme analogy, but I like it. Isn't it true, yeah, though? It kind of is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to fall to your death. You're just going to fall in the white water. But. <laughs> Depends yeah. if you're surfing Chopin. But if or it's not. a life or death heat, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. You know, there's a big mental chunk that, that goes down when, when you put on a jersey for sure. I mean it's and and I totally agree with you regarding Connor. Like I just felt like it wasn't his best surfing. And no. the thing about Connor too is he's such a likable human being. He's good for the tour, you know, he yeah. kind of gives a little bit of um I sense that the tour, and I guess this could be subconscious, but I sense that the tour in a whole, the people around it, the other competitors, the PR machine that is the WSL, his own camp, they do a really good job of packaging Connor. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe it's just because I follow him on Instagram or whatever, but I just you just like that he likes and the Rip Almond Curls brothers. involved. Yeah, he well, he <laughs> loves Dwayne Allman. That's a big thing. Um, he plays the guitar. That's cool. But and so it is all those things, right? That, yeah, and so he. He's a very likable guy, and his surfing is extremely likable, extremely pleasing, generally. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it did seem like there were some heats where I remember going, oh, man, I'm going to nitpick this and say, I think he could surf a little better than this. Yeah, he could. And so, he was getting not. I mean, he was doing awesome. Look, they were all doing big, huge, awesome, swooping, gouging top cutbacks and yeah. roundhouses and top turns. And I mean, the surfing, that's why this event was probably – I mean – I don't think an event can get better than this, at least not an event at J-Bay. Have you ever surfed J-Bay? No, I've never been there. It is, it's been my number one surfing destination on my list since I first got into surfing. First images I ever saw J-Bay, I'm like, well, I would like to surf that. And it still is. And I'm going to go for sure. 
your hairdo is sort of a reverse jaybay. Exactly. It's a long, there's like an impossible section in that chop up. And you know why? It's because when I look in the mirror, it then becomes jaybay. Makes perfect sense. It's it, totally get it. It's actually meant to be parted on the other side naturally, but I forced it to go jaybay. <laughs> I wish to God I had Instagrammed that right there. That was a good, uh, in case you missed it in listener land, David uh, used his hair as a prop and chop hopped perfectly. Prop chopped. Yes. Um, so do you want to hear about our fantasy teams and how they did? Can we talk real quick about Wiggly Dauntus blowing his heat because he claimed it? Oh, my God. He, he lost a heat because of the claim. We could do a whole show on the claims of this event. Way too many claims. I got a problem with Mid-wave this. claims. Midwave claims. Guys Mid-wave were coming out of the tube, and I was going, why isn't he hitting it right there? He still could be riding. And they were just like... Talk about Wiggly, then, because that's well, the one. That look, was there the was a egregious. wave. I think it was round four. I forget. Not even. I thought it was Round early. three, maybe. maybe. Yeah. Where it was a man-on-man heat, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he got a killer... You know, did some top turns, set up the inside, or not the inside, but that super tubes or impossible section. One of them pulled in, comes out of a really, really awesome deep barrel. And immediately goes to the claim when he should have been doing a bottom turn and setting up for another top turn. So he goes, he does the claim. He's just mouth wide open, screaming and yelling, then goes, oh, I better continue the wave, goes to do his bottom turn and couldn't sink his rail and just fell on his face. And uh, it was a great example of, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the great cliche? Um, Pride goeth before the fall. Mm. And this, I mean, you couldn't have scripted a better Pride goeth before the fall. Hashtag you can't script this. Hashtag you can script it. It's been scripted. Wiggly's claim to no fame. Right. Yeah, brutal. Um, Wiggly, we were talking about Frederico being a guy who's forced us all to like him. Wiggly's been a guy who's forced us all to not like him. We're like his paddling antics in Cloudbreak last year. And it's like, oh, he surfs really good and I want to like him. But he keeps doing dumb stuff like this. Bonehead stuff that's just like, dude. Bonehead. Bonehead. He's the new Taylor Knox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's not my name for Taylor. He was well known as the Bonehead. Not right. for being a dick, but for making Bonehead decisions in heats. Right, right. Uh, when he had a 10 and then like not being able to back it up with a 3 or something. <laughs> right. Just stand um, up, dude. Just exactly. Exactly. So our fantasy teams need to be discussed because... Did uh, you kick my ass? I did. Oh my god. Seven hundred and seventy six points to year seven hundred and thirty one. Oh, so it was pretty close. Not even close. Forty dude. points. I smashed you. What are you yeah. talking about? Oh my god. That's I, a win. A win is a win. I agree with that, but it wasn't a smashing. Look, I'm glad you finally won an event this year, okay? Thank you. It's been been, been a long time coming. It must feel good. It's enjoy it now because it's I am. it's gonna change. I rode remember last week we asked each other who we were gonna ride. I rode Gabe Medina and you rode um George. Was it Jordy? Yeah. I thought so. Or Owen. Yeah, Jordy. You wrote Jordy, which is a pretty good call. But Gabe went further, or they went the same. They both made it to the... Yeah, I think they Gabe was in the semis. Yeah, I'm going to look it up right now. I think Jordy might have lost to Gabe, actually. Let me Uh, see here. Yeah, I've got it. Um, But Jordy looks so good, dude. Gabe was in the semis. Jordy lost in the quarterfinals to Philippe Toledo. Can't be mad at that. I mean, look at this quarterfinals. Gabe, Mick Fanning, John John, Philippe Toledo, Jordy Smith, Julian Wilson, Matt Wilkinson, 
and Frederico Marias. Yeah. I mean, if you look at that, you're saying to yourself, who's the guy that's not, who's going to lose out of those eight? You're thinking Frederico Marias, just based totally. on he's a rookie and we don't really know his situation. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess our hats are off to Frederico. He did a great job. Yeah, yeah. And we're not, but look, if we're going to nitpick, let's nitpick. Yeah. He um, shouldn't have been there. WSL has a new CEO. I know. I'm excited for her. Are you really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, why not? Why not be excited for a smart, you know, intelligent? I guess that's what smart means. I don't know, though. Like, I don't know enough to be excited or not excited. I, I think there's still a lot of question marks. Do you want to give her background or do I or what are we doing here? Why don't you give some background and I'm going to talk about her new role. Okay. Um, WSL announced the new CEO. I think it was yesterday morning. Her name's Sophie Goldschmidt. She's 42 years old from London. She... Um, actually attended Baylor University, yeah. which is in Waco, Texas. So she's from London, but she came to the U.S. to go to school. She came on a tennis scholarship. She ended up getting injured and then took a job with Adidas. She got a master's, too, from here. Took a job with Adidas, which she calls Adidas, with yeah. her English accent, and ended up working basically in a lot of women's sporting realms, first with a tennis tour, the WTA, then with the NBA, then with the Women's Rugby Association, which I didn't even know existed. Um, and looks like her specialty is, number one, working with women professional sports teams, franchises, and then also working with media houses selling deals to television, internet, cable, all that sort of stuff. So she's worked for um, those sporting companies we know, and then most recently for a kind of marketing or talent represent uh, representing company in the UK, but she's never worked as a CEO from what I could tell from her professional background, but she's great at packaging deals for media. And then she's also great with working with female franchises. So those so, are her areas of specialty as far as I could tell. Okay. Good insight and way to dissect that stuff. Um, I think when you're looking for a CEO of a sports league, some things need to get checked off. And she checked off all those things. Okay. Smart, um, well-educated, experience in the sports realm. Um, you know, you're going to get a lot of candidates that obviously have to check off those things. And then you're going to be left with, say, five candidates. And the, the thing you're looking at, so you know that they're all smart. They all can speak. They they all get it. Like they're they're all they've they've met. They've gone through all the filters, and now you've got five left. And the thing you're looking for as a board of directors is you're going, which one of these people has relationships that's going to grow my business? I'm looking for people that know people. I don't want somebody that doesn't know anybody at GE Westinghouse or at Sony or you know like any of these places where we're going to go pitch. I need somebody like Sophie who has relationships built based on her past experience with these other leagues that's going to be in the, able to go in there and they're going to say, hey, good to see you again. I enjoyed how are your kids. They already know each other. Let me show you my proposal. This is the WSL. So my feeling is Sophie has solid relationships that the people on the board at the WSL were like, 
these are the relationships we need to milk. We need to leverage these relationships that Sophie brings to the table. So I imagine she's got relationships that are nowhere to be found in any of these PRs that were sent out about her. No, but I, I'll give you a quote from um, sportsbusinessdaily.com, which did an article on her back in 2011. And it said, in addition to the proliferation of television and licensing deals overseas, Goldschmidt helps lead the NBA's international effort with a strong grassroots and digital strategy. Well, here's a, here's a line from the like press release, well, which you just gave basically, but in her role as CEO, Goldschmidt will focus on leveraging the once in a generation opportunity to evolve the landscape of competitive surfing around the world with the Kelly Slater Wave Company and mm. its groundbreaking technology. That's the first sentence about what she's tasked with doing. So she's going to be going into Red Bull. You know, I'm just using these examples. Going into Adidas, going into Nike, going into um, Mercedes-Benz, whoever it is, wherever she has these relationships and going, things are changing and we want you to be on the, the ground floor with us here. We've got this Kelly Slater Wave technology. We're going to be licensing it. We're going to be making money and we're going to be setting up a TV, internet, media distribution deal around events that involve this new technology. You'd be wise to get on board at the ground level and in 10 years, we'll all be high-fiving. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what her role is going to be. Her number one task is going to be going and selling the Kelly Slater wave pool as a competitive, as a way for the media giants to finally wrap their heads around this this thing known as pro surfing, which is so dependent yeah. on Mother Nature. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you want to know what's on her iPod? Yeah, Keen, Coldplay, <laughs> and Rihanna. You saw that? I saw it, yeah. And she surfs. Frankly, she surfs. Like, I know, you know, we made fun of this because I remember, I guess, a month and a half ago or two months ago or something, my insider had given me the HR report on what they were looking for. And yeah. it, they had to find somebody that at least owned a surfboard. Right. Well, uh, some Instagrammer commented and they're like, looks like Scott didn't get the job. <laughs> no, I didn't get the job. But I sent Sophie a little tweet yesterday that said, hey, congrats on your career move. I'm excited for what's in store for the WSL. And please, if you get a chance, listen to our podcast where we discuss all things WSL. And I wrote spitpodcast.com. So maybe, Sophie, because God knows WSL has been taking all of our cues anyway, that she might as well start listening so she can get some insight. First thing she's going to implement next season is um, re uh, retractive scoring that I suggested earlier in this podcast. I doubt that. I doubt any of that. Doing that stuff's scoring. all going to be left to uh, commissioner and all that stuff. She's focused on selling this new yeah. paradigm. She's only 42. Yeah. She's I young, think, right? And I think she's in Santa Monica. Well, she, yeah. The, I mean, the offices are, it seems like she relocated yes, from London. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, that's young and it's an impressive, it's good for her. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they could have found a more qualified candidate. I think it's cool that they, that they, I think it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Progressive. That they hired a female. Now, it's sad that we have to say that, you know, but... We don't have to. She's qualified <laughs> as a person, as a CEO, regardless. I and think it fits with what we talked about in past years is, look, Dirk Sift is funding this thing, the WSL. He's right. the main investor, and his wife 
from the very beginning, they stated that his wife wanted to do it as a passion project to help bolster women surfing. That was her goal. And so this fits in perfectly with that. And Sophie's background is in women's professional sporting. So it makes perfect sense. My gut feeling based on nothing other than my gut is that his wife's already already over the whole WSL thing. Mm. Like that was like, honey, let's buy the WSL. And again, I'm being simplistic. I'm sure it wasn't quite that, um, you know. Yeah. I don't know what's the word. It wasn't quite that sophomoric or I'm sure that there was true, sincere passion behind sure. their concern and their desire to help women surfing and help pro surfing in general. But I think at this point, Ziff is looking for an exit strategy. He needs to get a CEO that's going to grow the business to a place where they can move it. Yep. And he feels like if we can harness technology behind the Kelly Slater Wave Company and build a TV um, schedule and media around it, and get sponsorships behind it. At that point, we'll be able to go, hey, this is for sale. Yep. Look at the potential. I just want to get out. You can buy it for a nickel on the dollar. You know what, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think yeah. his wife has anything to do with the hiring of Sophie. I really don't. I think, and again, I, I have nothing to base this on other than I think his wife's probably moving on. Like, they probably have kids that are going to college and who knows? I don't know. But I just don't. <laughs> it's fun to. I don't ask. sense that the wife is too involved anymore. Yeah. What else you got? Um, oh, look at you. You've got to go, huh? No, no I got 30 minutes, but I... Kelly's foot. Can we go a whole episode without even talking about Kelly, or is it too late? We don't no. even need to... Is Kelly's career over? He's old, dude. It's over, huh? His so old, his bones are breaking. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kelly's career is over. I mean, can we say that? Uh, I don't know. Like, he said he's out for six weeks, a full-time, right? on, on tour, full-time. Here's this the question. last year. This is a good time to leave. He broke... He he won Chopu with a broken foot previously, and that's our next event. So he could do that again. No, he's not. He's he's. It's going to be months before he's in the water. You think so? Yeah. How gnarly does the break look? It's super gnarly. <laughs> it looks bad. Those aren't. Bo- I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but that just Wait, looks. You're not. Well, I play one on oh. the radio. <laughs> um, anyway. The event. Yeah, I mean, I guess the events in two or three weeks. It's on. August 11th. So that'd be a pretty quick recovery. He's, he's out for sure. He's the defending champ of that event. Um, so last time I said that it was, um, who was it that I said got slapped by Johnny boy? Oh yeah. Let's do that. I think, was it Kim Merrig or something? No, no, no it no, was no. Pam Burridge, Pam Burridge, right? right? I thought it was Pam, but it was Jody Cooper, right? Okay. So I did some research. Okay. And, um, I came up with this interview of, from this is Jody Cooper talking about the Johnny Boy Gomes incident. And this is in, I want to say, the late 80s. I knew Johnny Boy when he was positive and knew the dark side as well. The day we had a run in, it was a typically packed day, North Swell at the beach park there on the North Shore. Everyone was getting barreled, everyone was out, Bud Lamas was on a wave, and Johnny Boy dropped in. And then Bud rode around Johnny Boy, was in front of him, and Johnny Boy flicked his board at Bud's head, nearly killed him. Jeez. They both came up next to me, their boards were tangled, and Johnny started punching. Everyone just put their head down and paddled away, as they do, like chicken shit. I just thought he should stop, and I said, Oi, Johnny Boy! Leave him alone. Stop it. Leave him alone. Chill out. That sort of thing. Because I thought I knew him. He was about to smack Bud in the head. And he just looked at me, let go of Bud, paddled over and whacked me in the head. Everyone just took off. 
paddled away. No one stood up for me. You name it. They were all out there. Everyone saw it, but they didn't want to get smacked in the head as well. He hit me and tried to humiliate me and said, get out of the water, you stupid F this, see that. I thought, fuck you. So I stayed out there for another half an hour and caught a few waves just to satisfy my own ego and pride. Then he harassed me for two years after that. It was so heavy. Once the 7-Eleven in Hollywood came up and threatened to kill me. Finally, I had enough and knew I had to sort it out. The next time he confronted me was at Sunset Car Park and I lost it. I was like, are you going to stab me or are we going to deal with this? I just let it rip. He didn't say or do anything. And from that day on, he left me alone. But it was a heavy two years. So that's Jody Cooper talking about the incident with Johnny Boy Gums. How uh, gnarly is that, dude? So I got it wrong last time I thought it was Pam Birch because Pam's getting inducted into the surfing walk of fame. That's why we had brought her up. And right. then you're like, oh, didn't she get punched? And we didn't have, we couldn't find the article at that right. time. Right, exactly. So anyway, it was Jody Cooper, that's the situation with the wild, wild west of pro surfing back in the 80s. That guy's gnarly, dude. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's mellowed out. I don't, I no, mean, maybe he's, he's changed in, his ways. I, I hope he has. I, I brought mean, up a story a year ago on this show about him getting thrown in jail overnight for punching a dude on the South Shore. Like, similar oh, yeah. incident. Like, I was in... Uh, I was in Jamie O'Brien's backyard the year that, I think it was the year Jamie O'Brien won the Pipe Masters. And I was shooting photos. And those guys, his dad, Mick, and Jamie were very nice and kind and let me use their backyard and set up my camera. And I shot a lot of photos. And and Johnny Boy and Jamie had a heat. And it didn't go well for Johnny Boy. And Jamie had won it. And I'm sure that there was some situation out in the water. But, but Johnny Boy just like threw his board on the sand, stormed up to Jamie's house, got in his face, spittle was flying out of his mouth. And to Jamie O'Brien's credit, he knew like you just got to stand up to a bully. Like you can't back down. He Jamie just kind of stood there and took it and just didn't say anything, but didn't. It was like one of those boxing weigh-in eye-to-eye standoffs, you know, where they're literally like almost kissing each other, and 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 you know Johnny Boy laid into him verbally, and Jamie just took it and didn't do anything physically, didn't didn't heighten or sort of escalate escalate thank you the situation and i think that was the last time you know good i even ever saw johnny boy in competition i think yeah that might have been the last time it's so dumb it's like dude you lost the heat because i surfed better than you and now you're gonna come try to bully me well it's It's deeper than that right i mean is it though i mean i think that's really what it comes well there's a lot of parenting there's a lot of context like you know johnny boy grew up in wine on the west side I don't know what the situation, but that's a rough neighborhood with, um, you know, a rough socioeconomic climate. Um, I, you know, again, I can't speak for the upbringing. I don't know it, but, you know, normally you and I with you and I can say that we grew up with rather stable home life, two loving parents through most of our lives, probably continuing on. I don't know that to be the case. I don't think that I think at some point, is it nurture or is it nature? And I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, when you grow up in a rough and tumble neighborhood and and what you're taught is to act in a certain fashion, that's your default. And you begin yeah. to rely on that. And even though it's not correct, at least according to our social norms, that's that's what's that's what he knows. I don't discount that and that that definitely set him up for the way that he behaves. What I'm saying, and I'm also not saying that oh, we need to all now point the finger at Johnny and call him an asshole. What I'm saying is, hey, Johnny, I want better for you. So here's your cue. 
This isn't getting you anywhere in life. You walking around punching women and children, Jamie O'Brien in that case, somebody who's 20 years younger than he well, was. Well, Jamie was probably 18 at the time. And 20 years younger than Johnny Boy. And right. Johnny Boy is way bigger than Jamie is. So it's like, hey, Johnny Boy, you punching women and people 20 years younger than you isn't going to get you anywhere in life. This will not help you achieve your goals. So listen to me. I'm not shaming you. I'm not saying, hey, you're an asshole. I'm saying, hey, this is not going to get you to where you want to go in your life. This is not going to be good for your interpersonal relationships. This is not going to be good for you professionally. This is not going to be good for anything. This isn't going to be good for Jamie. So quit being this guy. Quit being this guy and try to find a different way. Maybe he is. I hope he is. It's funny because I recently he's been showing up on Instagram. I've been and he seems very sweet on Instagram. Like like he everything I've seen from him on Instagram is like positive to the person that posted something you know what i mean it's like hey way to go you're killing it like cool. i think i saw him that is cool steve sherman posted a photo of steve sherman surfing at jay bay and i think johnny boy chimed in hey great looking turn way to kill it keep cool. keep doing it you know like Good. and i saw him somewhere else on somebody else's instagram chime in so anyway look these were let's give johnny boy gums the the um the uh what's the benefit per- of the doubt thank you god i'm, I'm going into early stages dementia <laughs> uh the benefit of the doubt because these incidents happened a long time ago yeah and let's hope that that he's you know well amending his behavior okay I, tangentially yeah. uh sunny garcia yes <laughs> post another why not kid exactly posted an instagram um surfing in el salvador like three let's say three weeks ago where a dude burns him and Sonny's got the video footage, and they kick out, kind of uh, just straighten out and jump off on like a double overhead whitewash. And Sonny's comment was like, I'm a, I'm a changed person. This guy burned me. We kicked out right next to each other. His board hit me underwater. It could have easily cut me, blah, blah, blah. And when we came up, I didn't say anything negative to him. Um, well, God bless Sonny Garcia. That's awesome. I mean, that's the kind of thing that that makes my day and inspires me, you know, like good for him to see growth. Frankly, that's spiritual growth. Yeah. That's transformational growth and it's powerful. And I'm stoked to see that or hear that. I thought it was funny that he was self promoting it kind of, that was funny to me, but then also that guy fully burned Sonny and it's a point break. Like you can see somebody coming down the line at a point break pretty easily. It was the most egregious burn I've seen in a long time. I was like, Yikes! If if Sonny, you know Sonny Garcia is in the lineup when you're surfing wherever oh, yeah. you're at, yeah. and so you're going to double check before you take off. Well, we don't know the context. Maybe Sonny was back paddling. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it what was. Did it look like it yeah. looked egregious. The guy burned. The guy was either the biggest kook in the world or intentionally doing it. But I thought, geez, he deserves a backhand to the oh, head. Wow. You know, and Sonny physical violence. No, I'm really not. But Sonny, not. Sonny really held it together by not doing anything. Um, so I, yeah, a couple, I don't know. Well, good. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I've got a must-see moment here for you. Dude, there's so many this week, right? You're going to like mine. <laughs> okay, I give it. Vacation Island. Steph Gilmore in Vacation Island by our friend Morgan Masson. Oh, dude, I've been meaning to watch that. Masson or Masson? Masson. I've been meaning to watch that, and I didn't get around to seeing it. Vacation Island, Steph Gilmore, the Princess Diana of Surfing. Um, it, you know, just lays down graceful tracks in a stylish twin fin. It looks like out on the North Shore. It's pretty cool. I was super stoked on it. 
the girl's got tons of style. And uh, again, Princess Die on a surfboard, Steph Gilmore. So it's a You're, twin fin, North Shore. Is it like a three-minute edit, or what are we looking yeah, at? Yeah, it's like a three-minute edit. Um, she's playing around on a twin fin. I think it's like, it's it's maybe it's Rocky Rights okay. or Beach Park between gas chambers and, you know, I don't know, somewhere in there. Slow-mo with cool music. and Super cool French, like, jazz okay. with a lady singer kind of okay. groovy like acid jazz kind of thing it's pretty okay. cool i'm really glad that you mentioned it because when i was in costa rica i saw it on instagram so i like saved it meaning to rewatch it and i completely forgot and i love both those people i love stuff i love and it's Morg. a great contrast to all the j-bay yeah. stuff we've been seeing yeah um by the way morgan loves stephanie does he? Morgan loves. We all Stephanie. love Stephanie. Who, we all who do. doesn't love Stephanie except for the idiot that attacked her? Who attacked her? Remember, like two or three years ago on the oh, Gold Coast, yeah. she got attacked by some nut job. That's right. That's right. Good. Jeez. I often I don't know the the details of that. Was that like, was like a, a random crime? Yes. Or was it just I? She got hit in the head with a beer bottle, I think. Was and it was a random like, drunken yabo Aussie guy. Yeah, it was like she was walking back to her apartment at night or something like that, and a got attacked yeah good memory your memory is really bizarre dude you you have like you remember these very specific random details but i can't but remember my can't name remember <laughs> it's really Uh-oh. like a dichotomy Uh oh. um which <laughs> that, that reminds me did you watch the corona highline heat on the twin fans no i'm bummed i was looking forward to that i thought that was kind of cool part of me was like i mean it, it's kind of cool right they were celebrating it's a weird thing. Like, I don't want to even use the word retro, you know? No. They, they were celebrating... Alternative. Alternative surf, surf But even that is like... They're sort of saying that our way is the right way, and we're just going to show you sort of another way that we don't really appreciate, because if you did that in a heat, we wouldn't give you a good score. But let's not... You know, let's have a non-heat and celebrate it. But it's really not what we think is the ideal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that that's sort of nitpicking a little bit, but I was sort of like, well, it's cool that they're doing that, but are they saying that this isn't the best way to ride a wave? I don't know. No, I didn't feel that at all. I thought like it was just showing. Well, my point is, is if you rode that fish in a heat, they'd go, oh, that's cool high line, but it's not really critical performance. And I guess it's not. I guess you can't do the things on that board that you could do on a, High performance trifin. But did you enjoy watching it? I didn't watch it, but oh, I saw pictures. Right. Of, I saw static images. Of it. I will send you. I'm posting an Instagram right now. What's up, Scott? Insta. Where can they watch you on Insta? Chop hop. Get that chop hop going. Uh, boardroom show at boardroom show at Surf Splendor. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I watch. I'll send you the highlight video. It's fun to watch, and I. It's rad watching the best guys in the world ride something other than what you're used to seeing them ride, basically. Yeah, that's no, it what's is. It is. About it. It is. I would like them to do that everywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. it's a. It kind of seemed like an ode to Derek Hine almost. Except they had fins. I know, but I mean, back in the day, Derek would ride that Skip Fry yeah, yeah, yeah. high line. Great footage. What was that movie? Litmus, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Such a cool. Um, so my must-see moment. Yes. While we, we do have a lot that we could call a must-see moment in this uh, J-Bay event. But because the J-Bay event was so exciting, there was a number of things that happened that fell under the radar. And for me, it was Greg Long's Puerto Escondido pit. Oh, wow. Good call. Did you yeah, see the footage? I did. I did. That He's was a buddy of yours, right? Um, yeah, an acquaintance. You know? Acquaintance. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... 
you know, I've got him on my cell, but I wouldn't call him and say what's up. But That's I would, I would ask him if I needed some help with something. You know, like which gun to ride at Puerto Escondido? No, 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 no. Those <laughs> my days. I've got pictures of me twenty years ago surfing waves like that at Puerto Escondido. But uh, well, dude, those days are over for me. So imagine a perfect barreling day at your local beach break. This was that, but it's twenty feet. Yeah, no, this it's is like so Waimea Bay barreling. It's so gnarly. It's heavy. And heavy, he's heavy. The board that he's on, it's a Christian sin. We got to figure out. I, I'm going to guess the thing sure is 9.9 nine, nine or something. Yeah, I was going to say 9.6. That's what you ride six. out there. No, that, that's what you ride out there. So he, the, to, posi- to get out into the lineup and then position yourself for that wave and then take off and make the thing, make well, the look, drop, you can pull in. Out dry hair at, at Puerto. You just paddle out there. No, you can like you you. It's easy to paddle out dry hair. You just go down by the town, okay. Paddle down and paddle up, okay. That's but to be he, in position, I mean, there's yeah, so much no, water no, it's moving. Heavy. Oh, it's so it's heavy. It, it's heavy. Th- he surfs this thing perfectly on a nine six on a such a crazy wave and gets completely blown guts blown out. Like I said, if it was a six foot day on your shortboard, that would be the sickest barrel you probably ever got in your life. But he did it on a 20 foot wave on a nine, six. So I'm going to post that footage on spitpodcast.com And of course on Instagram at surf splendor, it's really well worth watching and completely got overlooked in the recent waves, recent weeks. Um, I have a duke and a kook. My kook By is. By the way, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Speaking of big wave surfing and top five competitive moments, let's not forget the some of the stuff we saw at Jaws that could maybe make it. Yeah. Anyway, Billy Kemper's barrel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, duke and a kook. My kook is pretty obvious. It's the judges for giving Frederico Marias that ten point ride. They blew it hard. They did. Blew that was hard. bad. That yeah. was really. Quite bad. Try not to ever throw the judges under the bus because they've got an unenviable job and nobody's ever going to congratulate them for giving Felipe his 10. You know, we all just assume. So they never get congratulations and they only get ridicule. But that was a really, really bad call by the judges. Yeah, it was. And look, you know, it's kind of like it falls under that Chris Rock. Hey, I didn't get arrested today. Give me praise. You know, it's like, right. look, you're supposed to get it right. This is your job. You're a professional judge, yeah. you know, and that's why we don't give him praise. It's like, yeah, well, we expect you to get it right. And that's a tough place to be. My tough position to be in. Totally. My Duke is stab magazine for their always inventive concept photo shoots. This time it was one called girls. No, those are great too, though. (laughs) Oh my god! This one was something called the Doc. Oh yeah, excuse me. That was cool. Did you watch the full video? I did. Five minutes. How cool is it? They come up. They come up with the coolest ideas. Volcom was involved in that too. Volcom and Stab together. It was a collaboration. They anchored a 100 foot half ton plastic raft in the middle of a surf break in Bali for this concept shoot. So this raft, we're calling it a raft, but it's basically a walkway, like a catwalk. Yeah, it's probably 50 feet long. 100 foot. Oh, wow. 100 feet long, and it weighed half a ton. Oh, my God. And it's anchored by these cables, which create this super high tension. So there's a lot of danger. And it's done. It's put, let's say, 50 feet of it are behind where the wave's going to break, and 50 feet are where the wave's going to break. Maybe 80 behind and 20 in front. So the wave, as the energy of the wave comes, it lifts it, and it makes it look like a snake almost, this 100-foot raft catwalk thing. That I think like each piece is maybe twenty feet, like they're twenty by twenty squares, it's and a you floatable just, pier. 
Yeah, and you just link them together like Legos kind of. They lock together. And so um, they had the pro surfers stand on the dock with their boards. And as the wave would come, they would run along the dock at the same pace of the wave and then jump onto the wave, like acid drop onto the wave and land on their board and then surf the wave to the beach. Noah Dean, Mitch Colborn, Yago Dora, Emai DeVault, Balaram Stack, and uh, Owen not Owen, Aussie right or Aussie wrong as he's going by this day. But basically stab, they said, we asked ourselves, what does the future look like? A cashless society, self-driving cars will leave the wave pools for Kelly Slater and co. And instead we envisioned a lineup where we don't even have to paddle anymore, which turns out to be a rather dangerous affair actually, (laughs) because these cables create a ton of tension and the, it, the raft itself does this really insane whip when the wave's energy releases into it, you know? Oh, yeah. it, it lifts the thing, and by the time you get to the end of the raft, it, like, whips it. Huh. And so these guys were kind of, when they didn't run and jump off of it, when they were just standing on it, it would whip them off of it, and they would get launched six feet into the air, <laughs> upside down, and then potentially landing on the cable. It just created mayhem, but it was so fun to watch. Yeah. So fun to watch. And yeah. some radical surfing. So for a five-minute edit, it's like, Stab, you guys nailed it. That was the most fun thing I watched on the internet for a long time. So Stab, Volcom, Dukes for me. All right. Well, um, I'm sort of at a loss for a kook. I, I, sorry to say, listeners, I don't have a Don't kook. unnecessarily throw hatred at people. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't have a proper kook, don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And... I think that, you know, my Duke should probably be Kelly Slater for sort of taking the high line with his injury. And, you know, if you saw his Instagram, he said something like, hey, look, this is bad, but it's not as bad as a lot of what a lot of people have to go through each and every day. You know, speaking of um, refugees in the Middle East and Syria and just, you know, he's lucky to be where he's at. You know, he just had a really positive um, sort of insightful 30,000 foot level uh, view um, and insight of, regarding his injury and, and his life. So that's why we love him, dude. Yeah, and injuries, and you know, potentially facing not competing in the rest of the year, like that'll force you to be introspective and analyze your position. Is his life. career over? No, I don't think so. You think he competes next year on tour? I don't know about next year, well, but I think I'm talking he, about. I definitely think he comes back for pipe. At oh the, yeah, no, like, for sure, yeah. and he'll probably surf pipe for. Five more years as an invitee. So does he come back next year? I'm talking about a full full length on tour. I'm committed to winning the world title thing. Because he's going to be invited to a bunch of different events. He'll get to cherry pick. Okay. I'll give you my answer. He does not return in 2018. Okay. I think he's done. I think you're right. Okay. We said it. You heard it here first. You heard it first. Yes. So if we put this as our title of our podcast, he's going to see it. And you know what he's going to do? He's not going to retire. He's going to go one more year. That's I'm our, you, that's our goal, right? Reverse it kind of is. Listen to this. I think when he won his sixth world title, I wrote a piece on Surfer Magazine basically saying he's it was when he got his he got number 10 i think it was 2006 or whenever he got number 10 i was like that's it perfect number 10 let's wrap it up and no need for any more and here we are he's still going at it go for 20 and that was probably 12 years ago or something yeah yeah all right right on scott well how can yeah. people find oh, spitpodcast.com is fully up and running 
The site's looking pretty sweet as far as I'm concerned. By the way, we need fundage. I'm going to go ahead and be that guy that says, please, to keep the podcast going, we need to get paid by you. Frankly, we have no sponsors. We work hard to put this show on every two weeks. And we need uh, crowdsourcing. So, David, how do they do that? There's a donation link set up on spitpodcast.com. It's a new one. Previously, we've had, I've had one on surfsplendorpodcast.com and um, Scott had one on down on the boardroom show.com, two separate. There's a brand new one for spit podcast specific. And I emailed everybody who had donations set up on surfsplendorpodcast.com and told them, hey guys, we're transitioning into its spit podcast is going onto its own feed redirect your donation if that's where you want it to go and so this is officially the call to action to let everybody know um spitpodcast.com click the donation button you can either give a one-time donation or there's a subscription option which is basically a monthly donation set up for five ten or twenty bucks so feel free to drop a couple of shekels into the bucket a little goes a long way like again if everybody just contributed a little bit, it would really, really go a long way to helping this. By show the way, I was thinking maybe we should at some point list the people that have donated and thank them. Maybe we can do that on the air or put them if they want. Some people may not want that, but we could put their names on the website somewhere. Just a thought. We'll discuss that. Uh, yeah, and I've got ideas for thank you gifts and stuff that we can do. We which can I always cut just some of your chop off and send them bits of your hair. A lock of the chop? Yeah, a lock of the chop's worth a lot of money. Ooh. A lock of the chop. <laughs> My DNA will be spread all over the world. Oh, that man. can get me into trouble. I'm not sure. At any rate, we're grateful for everybody who's donated. It's been really awesome. Yeah. So yeah. thank you to everybody. Where can people find you, Scott? Uh, my Instagram is at boardroom show. Yes. And my Twitter's at boardroom surf. What if they want to email you? Email me scott at boardroomshow.com. Awesome. And then I'm obviously David. Spitpodcast.com is the website. There's now a comment section as well for people to leave comments. A bunch of people have been leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes. So that's been really good. Um, it's really easy to find the show in iTunes now. If you just search spit, it pops up at the top and that's because people rated and reviewed the show. So thank you for doing that. You can find me on Instagram at surf splendor and then through email. Hello at surf splendor podcast.com. All right. Until next time. Adios and aloha. Aloha.